DJ and PK, it's time to talk BYU football with Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver. He joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain, Best of State award winner, is having an end-of-season sale on their irrigation smart controller. Save 50% off each smart controller purchase. The offer is available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit SmartRain.net to schedule a demo today. Dylan, good morning. Morning, folks. How are we doing? Doing well. Dylan, I remember a couple weeks ago, you were making your prediction on BYU beating Utah, and you said there was a lot of praying and fasting that went into that, and you got some laughs. You also made the point, I, to me, it made the point that you thought it was definitely possible, but given the streak, you really didn't want to be out there, you know, screaming too loudly. But they got the win. And now they've got another win, and I'm willing now, if you're wondered, willing to really scream loudly about this BYU football team, that as much faith as you had before, you've got quite a bit more now. Uh, absolutely. I, I've, I've got a lot more faith. And I know people are probably sick of my just absolute you know, positive reinforcement towards this team. Um, and I hope last year I did a good enough job of showing, you know, hey, there, there were some worries on the team as a whole. They just had the right tools, right? Uh, whereas this year, I feel like everything has really come together. And I think a lot of that comes down to not necessarily the surprise, but kind of like that aha moment of no one thought that this team had the ability that it does, right? No one thought it really did. Maybe people thought that they had the potential, but no one really thought that, a 3-0 and start was even plausible because of the loss in personnel, right? Because of the new, you know, because of new quarterback coming in and, and playing a, a huge role. role. And uh, I just think, you know, it's kind of that moment of, hey, 3-0 and in the Pac-12 um, with uh, a lot of potential looking up in regards to winning out. I mean, I think BYU fans everywhere can kind of stand on the, stand on the hill and and scream pretty loudly. Yeah, for sure they can. If you try to pinpoint reason or reasons, where are you going? I mean, I I truly believe it just goes back to the conversation last week, the the maturity of the program and and where it's at and kind of the foundation that's been built over the last few years. It was kind of this, you know, uh, opportunity that was ready to pop, right? And and this year is that year where the last few years, it's just kind of built up all this momentum. And, you know, is it is this the pinnacle? I don't think so. I think this, this is just really the beginning to that constant growth, especially with what's gone on in the last couple of weeks and being added to a power five and the potential to grow there. So I, I really think that this is just kind of that momentum straight up, uh, something that, you know, think people have been waiting for for a very, very long time, especially under Kalani. These three games have looked remarkably similar. The final, uh, in each case, BYU's jumped out in front, looked pretty comfortable, two-score lead. The other teams rallied and tightened it up, and then BYU pulls away and wins by eight, wins by nine, wins by ten. That's not going to hold. Something's going to happen. Maybe opponents are going to catch up to BYU's defense a little bit, especially with Peely being hurt. That's got to be a setback. He was playing so well. And then you've got uh, maybe the offense. We haven't seen it all yet, and they're really going to start throwing 40 points up there on the board. I mean, we can't have the same pattern 12 weeks in a row. We've had three three games in a row. It can't happen. How is this team going to change going forward? Where are we going to see it on the scoreboard? 
Yeah, I think I think the biggest difference, especially in what I've kind of been waiting for, is that that shift, right? Where and I think it, it did happen a little bit this last week, where after that initial special teams touchdown, okay, which was you know as great of a play as it is, we look at the chances of that truly happening, and we look at the numbers, and it's you know <laughs> uh, almost maybe a little bit of a fluke. But the way that the offense got started was extremely extremely slow, right? There. Are, you know, weren't many shots taken down the field. The offensive line was getting pushed behind. There was a lot of momentum going towards Arizona State's, uh, going Arizona State's way. And I think a big part of that goes to, you know, the way that we look at what does the opportunity look like for a bad game, right? And do I think that they played the best game Saturday night? No, I don't at all. I, I think that there were a lot of missed opportunities, and especially where Arizona State started to make that run back into the game, right? You look at the front seven and the way that they got pushed early. As I look at that and say, okay, we see how it is to play, you know, maybe not the best football, yet BYU is still able to pull something out, right? And so it's going to come down to, is your worst game better than the opponent still, right? Can you play at your bottom level and where do you still stand in terms of the end score? Um, and that to me, is going to determine a lot of what happens the next nine games, uh, the next ten games, however long it is, because that that pattern can't stay, right? We can't just come out and let people back in the second, third quarter and then pull some mirac- like miraculous victory in the fourth. Uh, my biggest kind of worry is, okay, what happens if we play you know, worse than we did Saturday night? Is that still going to be better than the opponent? I think personally, that there are some games in there in the schedule coming up that if we play worse, you know, there are teams like the Boise State, there are teams like Utah State who has a lot of momentum. I think those groups are going to be ones that actually take advantage of that opportunity and put us in a bit of a bind or a pickle. As the team continues to win, they're 14-1 and one in the last 15. Kalani's such a magnetic personality. He's going to draw some interest, obviously, from other positions and other places. I mean, uh, what do you think of the, not just the administration, but I think the athletic administration is fully behind them, but the administration and above at BYU uh, opening up the coffers a little bit and making sure they're at least ballpark going right? Yeah, I'm, you have to. That, I mean, that is the only opportunity. It is very difficult. If you look at the difference of what, and I think that this is, you know, pretty <laughs> public information, right? Uh, we all stood by with Bronco, and Bronco, there was no chance of him leaving. You know, like he had, everything he stood for was BYU. Um, as soon as money started calling, it was pretty quick to leave. Now, no shame, like no shame. Like I think everyone in the world would have done the exact same thing, and I honestly think, you know, from a personal standpoint, I would do the same thing. I think Kalani would do the same thing. When you're talking figures that are three, four, five times more than you're making at one university and setting yourself up and setting your family up for kind of generational wealth, right, those conflicts are always going to come into play. No matter how much you love BYU, it's not a decision about you disliking BYU. It's a matter of, you know, what what is the potential? And so, in order for BYU to truly compete at that level, there's going to need to be a huge shift in the amount of money that's being paid to these coaches across the entire athletic program, right? To be able to keep Kalani around, to be able to keep the Popes around, uh, you, you have to keep up 
or else, you know, you're just going to kind of be considered one of those mid-tier stepping stones that gets you to, you know, to get the coach to the SEC, right? Uh, and I don't think BYU can afford that with the momentum that they have right now. Well, stepping stones come in a lot of different uh, sizes, I suppose, because as long as SEC teams are going to pay uh, eight, nine, ten million dollars, everybody who's yeah. paying five or six is a stepping stone. I don't think anybody's expecting. I guess the question is, to what level is BYU going to go? Because I don't think anybody who was there in the '90s thought they'd be paying what they're paying now. So you got to yeah. stay somewhat in the ballpark. But there's a big difference between two, four, and six million as far as. Well, who are you a stepping stone to and from at that point? Right, and and that is one hundred percent true. Like I, I think you have to put yourself in. You know, uh, I think the easiest way to compare it is where are you at and compared to what Utah's paying Kyle. Right? What is Utah paying their coaches? Uh, that's uh, I believe that you have to get to that level, um, and that would kind of be like the bar to set for the entire administration. Yep, I'm with you. Once again, my friend, you're telling it like it is, and I think that's important. I want to ask you a question that isn't specific to BYU. It actually relates more to Utah, but it's a general question, and I know you've been there. They've got a quarterback situation, mm-hmm. and the way I look at it, Brewers had an opportunity of two and a half games plus, and, and you know, it just hasn't looked good, obviously. I believe yeah. Rising has some swagger to his game, and certainly in my interviews and interactions with him, I've seen it. And then he goes out there and ignites a, a dormant offense in the second half. As a player, how much do you count on and configure as far as a player's almost like cockiness to succeed uh, to have in the decision that the Utah coaches have to make. I believe they're going to go to rising. But you as a player, when you look at a, another at a quarterback specifically, and you were a receiver, obviously, in a receiver family, yeah. knowing that the quarterback, he, he's got that it factor. Uh, Utah should have gone with Cameron Rising from the very beginning <laughs> this offseason. No questions asked, 110%. That's something that I've thought since the spring. Um because of that factor there was something that you could tell and that's just of watching a couple utah games right um and and that's just seeing some of the stuff that they would put out right like the media and the social media program at utah you could just tell there was something different about cameron rising that was going to put them in a position of you know confidence not just the swag that he's got but the Dude can absolutely fling it. Like, the guy can play. I think the biggest roadblock, and I wouldn't even call it necessarily a roadblock, but the biggest roadblock from getting Cameron Rising to play early was the difference in influence from from Andy Ludwig, right? And you look at his quarterbacks, especially in the last few years, uh, you look at who he had at uh, Vanderbilt, right? Um, and I forget the guy's name, but the, just a very fundamentally sound, you know, five, seven step drop quarterback, much larger in stature, right? Um, kind of that old school feel. Whereas, you know, Cameron Rising is that guy all around. He is that 2021 quarterback. And so I think from the get go, they should have gone with Cameron Rising. Ultimately, I think the game last week at BYU is a completely different story with Cameron Rising under center. 100%, no questions asked. 
Um, and so it will be interesting to see how the rest of the season goes with Cameron Rising under center and the success that Utah has because I think they are a team with a ton of potential and a ton of talent. And so uh, I think that would be just the most fundamental move <laughs> uh, to make in order to kind of save the season. When you say the rivalry game would have been different, you think uh, BYU would have lost? I think they would have been under a lot more pressure offensively or defensively than they were. I think the offensive line would have played with a little bit more of a chip because of what Cameron Rising can do for that team. Um, and, you know, uh, I believe that the chances of BYU losing was is much, much different. I think Cameron Rising not playing, right? Now, BYU played an unbelievable game. Cameron Rising not playing was a huge benefit to BYU. Well, we'll leave it right there, Dylan. You've given Newton Cougar fans something to think about and possibly argue about. Way to go. Way to stir the pot. <laughs> not stirring the pot. He's talking from his heart and mind. It's what colleagues I do. Think the he's beautiful not stirring thing, no pot. I think the beautiful thing is he's done both at the same time. Well, that's because he's speaking truth as he sees it. That's the whole point. That a boy. Hey, you just go with it. Exactly. Right on. Yeah, well said. You're the man, Dylan. Bring some more tooth next week. He will. No question. We'll see you guys later. Thank you, Dylan. Dylan Colley, our BYU football insider, former BYU receiver, join us here to talk Cougar football. <laughs> I mean, geez. let's see. They, 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 they better pay up the administration or you're going to lose these guys. And he said, what are they paying Kyle? Yeah, yeah, right to it, man. What are they paying, Kyle? What the heck is in those uh, the DNA and Akali people? He's telling it like it is, man. My goodness. And then they should have started rising, and that's only watching a couple of times I've seen him play. He's got it. social media in the spring. I love that kid. Pac-12 salaries? I don't completely believe this list. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, you tell me right now. I bottom, like it. Bottom of the Pac-12, <laughs> Jonathan Smith, Oregon State, a little under $2.3 million. This is as of uh, uh, last October was the was what so I was October 2020 you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Mid-October of 2020. Okay. Yeah. I can believe Smith has lasted $2.3 million. Uh, I am shocked to see Mario Cristobal is listed as next to last at two point five. <clears throat> There's got to be some other compensation coming Mario Cristobal's way. Free shoes. For starters. <laughs> well, the, this was his first head coaching job, wasn't it? An unlimited right. supply of polo. I yeah. <laughs> think it's since last October he's been bumped up. Kevin Sumlin. Free gym uh, membership so he can do uh, bench press. Kevin Sumlin was middle of the league at, at, uh, two, at uh, $3.2 million. He He's gone. out. He's right? gone, yeah. Uh, Clay Helton. well spent, I might add. Clay Helton <laughs> was number three, top quarter, number three at $4.5 well, million. It's, He's gone. It's Kyle and Shaw were the top Shaw's two. Shaw's one. At four, I'm, I'm working my way up. Okay. Kyle at 4.6 <laughs> is number two, and Shaw at the top spot is 4.8. So you've got a range, a basically double from the bottom of the league to the top. Uh-huh. And you've got Kyle at 4.6 and Shaw at 4.8. And, and, and they, the USC they also job. been there the two longest, so they get incremental raises Absolutely. that are built in and all that Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. So that factors in. And Helton was at 4.5, which means if USC decides to pay 5 or 6 to their next coach, it wouldn't be shocking. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll pay him 4. Can't imagine they're going below that. Uh, I agree. They're USC. They want to win. Awfully expensive to live right. there. Where they pay between 4 and 6 will uh, be determined by how much leverage you have coming in. 
Agreed. All right, DJ PK. So there's the neighborhood. And that is just part of it because, as you pointed out earlier, what you pay the assistants is going to matter to the head coach a lot. They know that assistants move all the time and you got to pay them because they're on one, maybe two year deals. Yes. And I could tell you there was a basketball opening in this state very, very recently. And there was somebody who was up for the job and he looked at the money available for assistance and said, no, thank you. It wasn't necessarily his salary. Mm -hmm. It was what he had available to pay a staff. And he said, no, thank you. And I, this is gospel truth. I don't know that he would have gotten the job, but when he looked at it, he said, no. They call it the assistant's pool yeah. because how it's divvied up among the assistants is usually up, up to, to the head you. coach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So they'll refer to it as the assistant's pool, and there's a number, and head coaches are real dialed in to what that number needs to be. And he didn't want to swim there. DJ and PK, coming up next, everything you missed in this show will get you up to speed. Stay with us.